Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Today we have a deceptively simple story about two sons and a father. On the surface, it looks like a story about understanding which son does what his father asks. But it's much deeper than this. This story reveals that our own relationship with God is far more complex than we realize. Please understand, God sets the standard for what it takes to have a right relationship with him. We do not. And so here's the challenge. This parable is about repentance. It is not a parable strictly about obedience, but instead of our position of our facing towards God or away from God. You can do all the right things and have a rotten attitude. You can say all the right things and fail to act. And Jesus is calling each of us to change our mind to repent about who we are and how we follow God. So let's read the text. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. Jesus is speaking and he says, What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, The first. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe in him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. What do you think? That's the question that Jesus begins with. And that is what I love about the parables of Jesus. These stories that he tells, they are an invitation for us to explore what we think of God, what we think of ourselves, and the relationship between us and God. Jesus invites us to investigate and form an opinion, but he does not let our opinion be our own personal truth. Jesus lets us know that he alone is the truth. And the parable of the two sons is one that Jesus speaks to. Uh, he speaks to a specific group of people, and he's inviting them to figure out who they are and who they are with their relationship with God. And he's speaking to, specifically, the chief priests and the elders of the people. These were the leaders of Israel. They were the experts in what it was to be an Israelite, to be a child of God, to have a relationship with God, and to obey God's law. They knew how to do all of these things, or at least they were supposed to. Unfortunately, these experts didn't realize that with all their understanding and all their power, they could not be more wrong about what it means to follow God and have a relationship with him. These religious experts are upset with Jesus because of his teaching and his authority, and they corner him in the temple, and they try to get him to make a claim about where his authority and, and, his, and his teaching power comes from. And Jesus responds to them. You could read this just in the preceding verses to this parable. Jesus responds to their cornering him with a question, as he often does. And he asks these chief priests and elders where John the Baptist's authority came from. Now these chief priests and elders, they themselves feel trapped because 
they don't believe in John the Baptist. They don't believe in his message, which was a message about repenting and turning back to God. It was a baptism of repentance. We need to remember that. That's important for understanding the parable we just read. John taught a baptism of repentance. And Jesus weaves that idea of repentance into this parable of two sons. So the experts don't want to say that John's power came from heaven because they don't believe in him. But they also don't want to say that John's power was from man because they know that all the people around them, the crowd, believes in John. And they don't want the crowd to get mad at them. They want to keep face. So Jesus tells them a parable about two sons. And wrapped up in this parable is a message about repentance and also a message about keeping face. And so Jesus asks them, who do you think did the will of his father? And the chief priests think that they answered correctly, but their interpretation is not as simple as they believe. I want to point out to you that Jesus never tells them when they say, oh, the first son, he was the one that carried out the will of the father. Jesus never tells the, the chief priests and the elders if they're right, that the son who says no, but then does what his father asks that he's the one that does the will of the Father. Jesus never confirms that. That's what the experts think, and I suspect many of us would agree with them. Instead, Jesus tells them that they are farther from God than they ever realized. See, these chief priests and these elders are obsessed with obedience and keeping up appearances, and they're obsessed with that instead of being obsessed with true repentance. You see, this, this parable presents to us a problem. See, it's not enough to look at the story of a father and two sons and declare that the one who did what the dad asked, you know, the, so you look at the story, two sons and a dad, and, and okay, the one who obeyed dad did what he wanted, did the will of the father, he's the good one. It's not enough to say that. Because when we do, this amounts to just a relationship between a father and son that's based on behavior. And this is not how it works. You cannot read this story today, this parable, and walk away saying God only wants obedience. God does want obedience from us, but he wants the correct kind of obedience. And it's obedience that must follow repentance and forgiveness and a transformed heart. God doesn't just want obedience. He's looking for more. And so Jesus gives us a story that's full of warning and hope. So let's dig into the story just a little more of the father and the two sons. So the father asks both sons, and maybe it's worth noting, I don't know, that he asks them separately, first one and then the other, to go and work in the vineyard. And the first son says, I will not. But later he changes his mind and he goes and he works in the vineyard. And the second son says, yes. Or perhaps, maybe more importantly, it, the awkward translation says, I go, sir, but he doesn't do the work. As good Westerners, the way that we think, we are trained to take pleasure in a day's hard work. And so we might feel inclined to call the son who did the work in the vineyard the good son. And the son who was polite, I go, sir, you know, he uses the word sir there. We might call him the bad son because he just gave lip service with no action. But here's the truth of this parable. Both sons are disobedient to their father. Track with me for just a moment. See, each son responds to their dad in two steps. First, they have their initial response to dad, and then they have, secondly, their follow-up action. 
So son number one fails in his initial response. He says, I will not do this. And son, num son number two succeeds in his initial response. I will go, sir. Now son number one succeeds in the follow-up action by actually going and doing the work in the vineyard. Son number two, he fails in the follow-up action by not doing what dad asked. Each son fails in 50% of what their father asked them, whether it's by the actual deed or by the show of respect. Each son fails 50% of the time. Now, I've always read this story and thought to myself, but the, the one son who went and did the task anyway, well, he's the good son. And the other one must be bad. But there's more to it than this. In my study of this parable, I ran across a wonderful article that relays a story about a missionary to the Palestinians in the 20th century. It's an interesting little story of this missionary work. The missionary was telling a group of Palestinians this parable of two sons and the father, this right here from the Gospel of Matthew. And he asked them, which one do you think was obedient? And the missionary was greatly surprised when the whole group that he was talking to unanimously preferred the polite son over the obedient son. Meaning they wanted, they preferred the son who said, I go, sir. But he didn't actually do any work. They, they liked him better than the one who said, no, I will not, but then did the work. That's, that's an interesting response. And they explained it. The Palestinians explained it, saying a day's work in the vineyard is a little thing. But to say no to your father's beard is a grievous sin. Okay, let's just take a moment and soak in how awesome of a phrase that is. To say no to your father's beard. If there could be any other phrase that is more epic than that, I'm not sure what it is. But in the Middle East, what you're seeing here is there's a high value placed on speaking respectfully to your father. And this is true for Israel as well. It's borne out even in the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, as God lays out detailed commands about how to behave correctly as the people of God, there's, there's a whole series of commands that he gives, but there's just two in particular I want to pull out. This article I read highlighted these two commands, and I think are worth looking at. These commands are fierce. These commands probably make us uncomfortable today, but what they are really truly about is respecting a parent. So the first command comes from Exodus chapter 21, verse 15, and it reads, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Well, I think we can understand a prohib prohibition against violence towards parents, though the penalty is strong. And I need to add that this command assumes that the parent is treating the child well. There's a different uh, way to act when the parent is, is mistreating the child. It doesn't advocate violence towards the parent, but it, it, it's saying if your parents are treating you well, raising you well, you are not to strike them. So the penalty is stiff for this disobedience. And I think we get it. It's, it's, it's violence. It's striking. But then just two verses later in Exodus chapter 21 verse 17 we read whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Wow. Literally, whoever speaks ill of their parents is to be put to death. Did you catch that this carries the same penalty as verse 15, which was violence against parents, striking them? Apparently, showing respect to good parents is a big deal. Now, whether you agree with the, the, the severity of the penalty, the message is clear. 
show respect to your parents. And in the Israelite mind, speaking so bluntly to your father's beard, if we want to use that phrase again, was just as serious as failing to do what he asks. Everyone knew this. And so when the chief priests and elders were asked by Jesus, which son did the father's will, I have a suspicion they could have said either son. They could have said, well, the one that actually did it, or they could have said the one who was polite and respectful to his father, because one was 50% obedient to the father, and the other was, well, he was also 50% obedient, and both were 50% disobedient. They're both sinners. One because he is disrespectful, but then does what he's asked, and the other because he's polite, but then he's a do-nothing. So what warnings can we take from this parable? Well, first is this. Your actions matter. We need to obey God with the right attitude. The polite son I think of as a son who exhibits faith, but no works. And James chapter 2 talks about faith and works. Verse 17 zeroes in and says, So also faith by itself if it does not have works, it is dead. And that, that son who says, yeah, yeah, I'll go, I'll do it, and then he doesn't, well, his respect is, is dead. His, his, his faith is dead. His relationship with his, his dad is it's not healthy. It matters that your obedience is done with the right attitude. You can have, you can have a, 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 a obedience that's kind of dead because it's, it's, it's faith without works, and you can have obedience that's done with the, the wrong attitude. And, and, okay, you do know that you can obey someone incorrectly, right? I mean, this is real. We do it all the time. We obey angrily. I don't want to do this, and we do it anyway, right? I remember as a teenager, my parents, they gave me the responsibility of mowing the lawn. And like any teenager, I had my fair share of days, they'll probably say more than I would remember, where I just didn't want to go and mow the lawn. Most of the time, my parents were pretty content with me it just I mowed the lawn, okay? And they figured that if my attitude was kind of rotten at the beginning, it would get worked out through the physical effort of mowing the lawn. I'd just work it out. It'd be fine, okay? One particular day, though, I really didn't want to mow the lawn. And I don't remember if we argued. I don't remember anything that was said. But it was impressed upon me by the powers that be that mowing needed to be done and bad weather was coming. So just go and do this, okay? And I thought to myself... I don't want to mow. This is stupid. I can do this tomorrow. And, I, and then I thought to myself, well, I'm, I'm, I'll mow. I'll mow any direction I want in that dumb backyard. And so instead of mowing straight lines or mowing the lawn in sections nicely, I essentially used the lawnmower to scribble all over the yard. I went diagonally in both directions, drawing a giant X on the backyard. I, I mowed in curved lines and circles. I, I, I kind of vaguely remember trying to mow in figure eights. It was an ugly mowing mess. You know how a lawn can look beautiful, really nice and manicured after you mow it? This was not that. I was mowing, and technically I was doing the task, but I was mad. And the reality was, with every step I took with the mower, it was a step of resistance. I will not mow this lawn. At least I'm not going to mow it the way I'm supposed to. I also discovered, in doing this, that if you mow the lawn disorderly enough, you run out of gas before you finish. 
Uh, and additionally, I wasn't paying attention to the sky and that rain that my parents warned me about was, was moving in. So there was this ugly, mismowed, unfinished lawn. And the mower was out of gas and it started to rain. And I kind of started going, that was, that was a bad idea, Josh. And I had to watch the lawn for two days while it rained and look at the product of my false obedience. When it finally dried out, I got out there and I mowed the lawn in really nice straight lines. It was looked good. I felt bad. You can obey in the wrong way, with a sour heart, with, with bitterness, and with anger. You may do what is asked of you, but the meaning in your actions can be selfish instead of serving. So there's a warning here about obedience, doing it rightly and wrongly. But there's also a warning here about the sin of politeness. Well, what do I mean by that, sin of politeness? Uh, I don't know that there's actually a place in the Bible that says the sin of politeness, but politeness is used here and can be used in a sinful way. We know that, that rudeness can be a problem, but sometimes what is perceived as rude might actually be speaking truth uh, where it's not wanting to be heard. And, and, you know, we can be polite to God and we can be polite to others and uh, on our face we can be polite. And then on the inside or our actions, we are being disobedient or, or angry with them. Uh, the chief priests and elders you know, when Jesus asked them, what, what, what do you think about John the Baptist? Did you believe in him? They were afraid of speaking their mind because they didn't want to offend the crowd. They, so they put on a face. You know, Have you ever had a moment when you put on a smile and said the polite thing when really uh, what, what you wanted, the reality was that you just wanted to be anywhere but with the person you were talking with or or, or worse yet, you were so angry with the person you were talking with, you, ju you just want to scream at them. But what you're doing on the outside is you, you got a nice happy face on and you're saying polite things. And politeness can have a place. Politeness can also be deadly. And politeness can be a lie. Hiding disagreement and discord. Hiding bitterness. Hiding truth. There's a quote I saw a few weeks ago. I'm trying to figure out who said it, but I've been chewing on it because it just gives you a lot to think about. The quote goes like this. It's better to have honest conflict than dishonest harmony. It's better to have honest conflict than dishonest harmony. And I believe dishonest harmony happens when we speak politely to someone but we're just keeping a face on, a nice face. And inside, we're, we're thinking the opposite of what we're saying. We're, we're Outside, we're saying, oh, I'm so glad to see you. And on the inside, we're going, I hate your guts. You're just, you're so stupid. I can't believe you did that. I, I just can't wait till this is over and I can go be with someone else that I, I agree with more. And, and honest conflict, and so you have dishonest harmony that often is uh, created by uh, false politeness. But honest conflict openly says, you know what, I've got a problem with you. Let's scrap and wrestle until we figure this out. Honest conflict is healthy among people when we make, when we want to make things right again. We want to have right relationship with people. When we say, you know, what, we're going to fight this out and figure out how to be, how to live together again and, and, and to, to care about each other and move beyond this issue. So one son in this story is good before his father because he is respectful to his parent. 
and one son is good before his father because he does what is asked for uh, asked of him one son is wrong before his father because he defies him with his words i will not do this and one song is wrong one son it's like a tongue twister one son is wrong before his father because he fails to do what is asked of him i'll, I'll do it but then he doesn't now jesus introduces a third group of sons now it doesn't tell us this but it it's just pointing right at those chief priests and, fair, and, and elders. He tells them in verse 32 that John came to them and they didn't believe in him. And then they had a second chance that after the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed and were changed, the chief priests and the elders still did not, and the text says, change their minds. Remember, the two sons had, had to respond to their dad in two parts. There is an initial reaction to his request where they speak what they want to do. And then there's the second reaction, which is the actual doing, the task, the action. And the chief priests and elders, they have that two-part response. They initially reject John, and that by rejecting John, they're rejecting God. Because they choose not to believe in his baptism of repentance. And later, when they get their second chance, after they see people turning and repenting and, and having a new relationship with God, they choose to not change their minds and to still not believe. This is where the deepest warning of the parable is to be found. This parable has a warning about how we do our faith with correct obedience. And this parable has a warning about how we show respect to our Heavenly Father that's genuine and not just lip service. But this parable has this warning about this, it's not just these things. There's something more. And it fortunately gives us a ray of hope. And I can tell you which son in this parable is the one on the right path. I can't tell you which one's the good son. They're both 50% good. But I can tell you which one is on the right path. Both are respectful to their, respect, or both are disrespectful to their dad, either by word or deed. Both are sinners. But verse 29 tells us this. It gives us an important detail. It says this. The son answered, I will not. You know, when dad says, go work in the vineyard, he says, I will not. But afterward, and this is what's really important, it says he changed his mind and he went. He changes his mind. The word here in the Greek is the word for repent. The word is metalomo. I'm going to get it wrong here. Metalomai, which is to have a feeling of care and concern and regret. It is the word most often used to translate repentance in the New Testament. The son didn't just think, well, I, I better go do this, or my dad might write me out of the will. He didn't just say, well, you know, I'm going to show that I'm better than my other than my brother. It says he changed his mind. He, he had a deep regret, and he turned. He changed his heart. He felt remorse for his words, and he changed his deeds in the direction of his heart. As Millard Erickson puts it about repentance, there must be a real alteration of the inner person. You know, Millard Erickson, as he writes about re repentance, I'm going to throw this in, he also warns us about false repentance. Because that same word for repentance, to change mind, uh, appears in Matthew 27, verse 3, and it's describing Judas. The text tells us that when Judas... Jesus' betrayer saw that Jesus was condemned. It says that Judas changed his mind. It's that same word for repentance. 
and he brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Judas, he he changes his mind, but it's a false repentance. He feels remorse, but he doesn't turn his heart back towards God. And he ultimately takes his life. He, he dies feeling remorse, but hasn't turned back to God. It's not enough to feel bad about what you've done. I, I know there's a lot of people walking around and they say, I just feel so bad. I'm such a bad person. You, you, would just, you wouldn't like me if you knew what I did. It's not enough to feel remorse. True repentance has that remorse and then a, a change, a, a reorientation away from sin and towards God, a changing of the heart uh, away from that, that fleshly desire and towards God, having a relationship with him and obeying him. Jesus asks us to turn away from our sin and towards him. It's a reorienting of our lives. He wants us to have an honest conflict with our sin, to see it for what it is, and then to turn back to Jesus for forgiveness and redemption. The parable of the two sons gives us sharp warnings. Both sons fail to do the father's will. But one is saved because he changes his mind. He repents. And we all are like these two sons. It is left to us to choose or refuse repentance. Perhaps some of you today need to repent of bitter obedience. You've been going through the motions of what you thought made you good, but you're resenting God or you're resenting others. That You're trying to meet their expectations and, and really you're acting more out of selfishness in your heart or out of obligation than you are out of a loving relationship with God or your family. Perhaps some of you today need to repent of false politeness. You've been putting on an outward face that is lying about what you really think and feel. Will you hear the word of the Lord and take seriously the call to change your mind to repent? Don't wait another minute to do it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to realize that we are both of these sons. We, each of us, fall short of your glory. We, each of us, are sinners. Help us to put aside bitter obedience and false politeness. Help us to be a people who live true repentance, not just a guilty feeling, but that we would turn our hearts back to you to receive the forgiveness that Jesus has given us, to receive the salvation that he has provided. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.